and it's like January 20th, <laughs> and we're just now doing it, and probably this will be maybe the smallest crowd of the year that's hearing it, so I don't believe there are mistakes in what God does. Like, I, I do believe in the providential hand of God to arrange things for people who are following him, who are seeking him, and so that means that those of you that are here today, which is like half of us, I'm going to seed this into you, but then you've got to steward it for everybody else, right? Um, how many of you, just if you've been here for any length of time, it just feels like, God, you're doing something really awesome. Like, it almost feels like a bubbling, like a bubbling and a percolating. Um, there's five different things I want to share with you about things that God is speaking to me about this year. And really, if I had to give this year... Um, a theme. Um, for me, it's this, getting fascinated with Jesus. Getting fascinated with Jesus, right? He's, so you can come to church and get some good morals to live by and get some principles and get some whatever and never really get the real stuff because the real thing is him, relationship with him. That's the point. Um, my goal as a pastor is not to make you a better citizen, my goal as a pastor is to see you enter into new life and be transformed to the image of Christ. That's my goal. That's my goal for you, right? So if you just become a better person by sitting in here and, and being a part of this body, we have failed. Actually, we failed miserably if everyone just becomes nicer. Are you with me? Right? We need transformation, I don't need to become a nicer person. I need to die to my old self and be raised to new life. I don't need to make my old life a little bit better. I need to die to it completely. And that's what salvation is. I have repented of my sins. I have recognized that the best I can offer is like filthy rags, as Paul says, right? And then I say, Jesus, I need you. I repent of my sins. You can have my life. I will follow you. I will be your disciple. And in that moment of not just belief, but surrender to his lordship, it says the bondage of sin is broken in my life. He makes me a new creation. The spirit of Christ comes to dwell within me. Come on, that's a, that's a powerful thing. That's not just making something old, like ugly, a little prettier. That's total transformation that he's looking for, Right? And then he invites me into the work he's doing, which is making all things new. That's, that's not just like my old life got a little better. That's a totally different life. And it's a completely different direction. So for me, that starts getting fascinated with Jesus. He is the point. Relationship with him is the point. He, when you enter into this new life, God himself will lead you. He has ordered your steps. He will speak to you. And when you get used to hearing his voice, you're like, oh, it's all the time, <laughs> right? It's, how many of you discovered that? Like, he's speaking all the time. I'm just really busy, and I'm really distracted. But he's speaking all the time. So we want to get fascinated with Jesus. We want to be focused on Jesus. So um, one thing I want to say before we get into these five things is also this, we're not waiting for the good stuff. We're in the good stuff. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's good. We have dreams, and there's th- ways you dream with God, and you think, oh, at this, at this point, we'll be able to do this thing, or when 100 more people join us, we'll be able to do this thing. Like, there's always things ahead you're looking toward, and you can almost feel like, won't it be nice when? Won't it be, you know what I'm saying? But I think we've got to realize, like, we're in the good stuff. What God is doing here is awesome now, and I'm excited for what he's going to do in the future, but sometimes you spend your whole life waiting for the future, and you don't even realize, like, you're in the middle of the good stuff. Like, the way that we love each other in this house, it's going to get better and better, but it's really good now. Like, I appreciate it now. I, right, I want to value how we do it now. I'm not just waiting for the, for the next level. I want to keep moving toward the next level. I want to have a holy discontent that says there's more, but I also want to have a real appreciation for what's happening now. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, so as you talk through these things, I'm so excited about where God's leading us, but I also realize like there's a work you've done in us to where what happens in this house right now is sweet and it's good and his presence is always here with us. Like I'm so excited about breakthrough and next level, but his presence is here and it's tangible now. And I think sometimes we forget until we invite a friend in who doesn't know Jesus or who's never experienced God's presence, and they come and they sit in the room, they're like, (laughs) you know, they don't know what they're experiencing. And maybe it freaks them out. I think we're so tame. I think we are super tame in this house. How can we freak anybody out? But people come in and they're freaked out, and you know what's happening? They're experiencing the presence of God. The manifest presence of God is here in the house, and... You don't always know what to do with that. It's a, it can be overwhelming. Yeah? All right. First thing. Getting fascinated with Jesus. Mm. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 says this. But whatever, uh, whatever things were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul has just gone through all of his accomplishments. Right? What's that for you? Your bank account, your whatever, whatever, right? He goes through all of his accomplishments. And then he says, but whatever I thought was gain, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All of the things he used to list, right, as the great things about him and his life, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you know, you're like, you are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. We're not waiting to be the righteousness of God in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. Think about that. Because we're so aware of our own <laughs> flaws and failings. But when God looks at us, he sees in you the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible talks about you're actually covered in Christ's righteousness when you put your faith in him. Think about that. That's such a powerful thing. When God looks at Max, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ. Think about that, because we think about, oh, that God's really frustrated, right? When God looks at Chad, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Think about that. He has been made right in God's sight. So good. So he's like, listen, we live in this righteousness now. 
here's the, he, here are the real valuable things. I thought all these other things were valuable. Here are the real valuable things, what Paul is saying. And then he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know him in the power of his resurrection and also the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. How powerful. Here were all my accomplishments, but there is nothing else in this life, Paul is saying, that even compares to knowing Christ. Nothing. Nothing. And so what a shame if what we do is pursue becoming good Christians and we never pursue Christ. That is the value, knowing Christ. And he says, everything else I thought was amazing in my life, I realize is like garbage compared to knowing him. And what does he say? In the power of his resurrection and also the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Right? That sometimes in following Christ, we get led into really hard situations because we are light and darkness. And I, I will know him in the sufferings, and I will know him in the resurrection, in the powerful stuff, in the healing the sick, the raising the dead, delivering the oppressed, the fun stuff, but also in the sharing and the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus says hard things to his disciples. He says things like, hey, if you want to follow me, you're going to be persecuted. If you want to follow me, there are some things that will go hard for you. If you want to follow me, there are people who will despitefully use you. If you follow me. And then he says things like, hey, listen, they killed all the prophets. And they're going to kill me too. And a disciple's not greater than his master. <laughs> That's a hard altar call. Right? Our altar calls look like, Jesus has a great life for you. Right? Live your best life now. His altar calls were like, I will be killed. If you want to follow me, you will be too. But it'll be the best life you could ever live. <laughs> Come on. And I think you have to enter into it that way because then you realize this isn't like a, I'm going to try Jesus. You're either all in or you're not. And when you're all in, now you can experience transformation. When you're all in, now the good stuff happens. Right? We were made to do hard things. We were made to do hard things. Yeah? Okay. So it's, I'm not to the hard part yet. It's really quiet in here. Okay. So getting fascinated with Jesus, knowing him is the highest value. One of the ways we're doing that um, is we want to be in the word. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. And so we are starting tomorrow um, a Bible reading together in community if you want to be a part of that. So the idea is we want to be able to establish a daily Bible reading. So the Bible reading I put together is Monday through Friday. It's very simple. It's, you need five to ten minutes. Um, there's a Facebook group, so if you want to be a part of that, um, let me know. Um, if you're on Facebook, you can get a hold of me on Facebook or let me know today or email me. Um, but we start tomorrow, and I mean, it's a slow pace. We're going to take three months to go through the book of Luke. <laughs> it's a pace anybody can do. Um, but the idea is not to get through a bunch of reading. The idea is we're going to sit in it, so that we can reflect on what the word is saying. The word of God is a revelation of himself to us. So what did I learn of him today, right? And as you meditate on it, it begins to transform your life. So anyway, some of you already have daily Bible reading. You have set. You can make this a part of that, or you can just do your own thing. But if you want to be a part of it, we start tomorrow. But meditating on him, turning your thoughts back to him, right? The meditation of your heart, right? 
getting fascinated with Jesus, um, I really want to encourage you, get in the Gospels and stay in them until you're fascinated with Jesus. What does he do? What does he say? What is he teaching? What does that mean? What does this reveal about his heart? If you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is learning the ways of his master. That's the goal of a disciple, right? When you take karate, you learn how to be like your master and do what your master can do. So we're becoming like him in our virtues, right? We also want to do the things he did. We need them both. If you heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed, have terrible character, um, it's going to be a problem. And it's possible to do that, right? If your whole goal is to become virtuous, to be more kind, to be more loving, you'll spend your entire life focused on you and self-improvement and do nothing that brings glory to him in the world, that reflects his glory. We want both. I want to be like my master. I want to do what my master did. And that starts with focusing on him, looking at him, turning our minds to Jesus. Romans 12, 2 says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Putting our minds on him, the renewing of our minds, right? So when you were saved, God made you a new creation. How many of you know sometimes you're like, wow, I felt new, and now I feel old again. How many of you have been there? Like I had an encounter with Jesus, and now I feel like maybe I need to get saved again. Anybody ever do that? You're like, I need to go to 10 altar calls because by next Sunday, I don't know. He's made you new, but what happens? We go back to habit, right? So you've been set free from the bondage of sin, but we go back to habit. How do you change that? The renewing of your mind. Sanctification isn't someday... I'll be like Jesus. Someday I'll be a new creation. I'm trying to be a new creation. He's made you a new creation. Sanctification is, I've got to get rid of the habits that take me back to where I used to be. Right? How do you transform your mind? Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, those old patterns. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, the Psalms talk about the word of God is like washing. Wash me in your word, O Lord. Right? What is, when you, when you face a situation, your first question should be, what does the word of God say about this? What does God say about this? The world's advice will kill you <laughs> in any given situation. The word of God will be counterintuitive so often to what our culture teaches us. But his word will stand forever. Cultures come and go. His word will stand forever. Renewing of my mind, I want to think his thoughts. I want to think like him which means I've got to be in the Word. Okay? How are we doing? You're like, Pastor, I'm with you. I just shoveled a whole thing, though, and I'm so... I'm just going to assume that's it. I'm going to assume that's it. Fascinating with Jesus. Number two, believe. Believe, believe, believe. I feel like this is something God is really um, pulling, out, um, pulling out in this year. The story of Scripture, think about this. If you read all through Scripture, there are four phrases you can boil a lot of it down to four phrases. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Come home. You could boil most of scripture down to these four phrases. I love you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Come home. 
And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he adds a fifth. And he says it all the time. Believe. Believe. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Come home. Believe. Constantly. Jesus is saying, how long will it take? How do you not believe yet? Right? Oh, you have little faith. Believe. 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 We live in this like post-enlightenment world where everything's about questioning and cynicism. I'm not saying it's bad to have questions, but it's almost like people sit in their questions forever. If you have questions about God, if you have questions about what's true, that's not a problem. And in the church, there needs to be room to ask questions and to process those questions for sure. Because if you don't, you'll just press them, you'll just press them down. You're afraid people will think something's wrong with me. I better press them down. And then what happens? You live in doubt. You're not going to tell anybody you do, but you live in doubt. So don't, don't feel bad if you have questions. That's normal. But you need to process those questions and come to belief, right? You need to process that and make a decision. Do I believe or do I not believe? But you need to come. You can't, there's almost like a value. And I, I read it all the time now in a lot of modern like spiritual writing. It's almost like, I would call it the idolatry of doubt, it's almost like, look how humble I am that I have questions. Look how humble I am because I have so many doubts. How many of you have, how many of you have seen this kind of thing? It's almost like, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, believe. Believe. So yeah, doubts, that's normal. Process those doubts. But in the end, Believe. Ask enough questions until you have the answers you need and then decide you believe or you don't believe, but make a decision. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? This idolatry of doubt. Listen, it is soul deadening. It is soul deadening. In fact, you read things like Hebrews and he, like I have a friend who's like, there's all these discussions, um, you know, about is there a hell? Would a good God really bring judgment? all these kinds of things. And I don't mind people processing the question, but some of these people should know better. But like, you should know, you should have made a decision by now because you're pastoring a church. Like, you should have made a decision about these things. So there's all these discussions. And I was talking to one friend, I was like, can you see that people are being led astray? And, and even if they're not led astray to not believe, they're being led astray to living in doubt. And they're no, there's no, they're no good for anybody. You can't lead anybody when you doubt right? Let's say you have children, and you have a child who lies, lies like a rug, because you've always got at least one, right? <laughs> um, right? As a parent, you can't be like, well, is lying really wrong? I mean, you've got to know, you've got to know, like, you can't lead that child anywhere if you don't know what's right and wrong. Are you with me? You can't lead anybody if you don't know where you're going. You've got to have made a decision, right? So I was talking to my friend. I'm like, this is a problem. Can you see this is a problem? It's years of people are in the same questions and process. And they were like, yeah, but at least we're talking about things like hell. At least we're having the discussions. And I, I just felt like, man, huh, what deceptive wisdom of the world. When you read Hebrews, what, think about 
the, if, you, if you've read through Hebrews, what does it say? He says, why are you laying again the foundation we've already established? And he goes through a list of things, and hell is in there. He's like, why are we laying this foundation again? You should be eating meat by now, not drinking milk. Move on. <laughs> like, make it, get on or get off. I mean, you can get off if you want, but make a decision. Get on or get off. Jesus calls us to believe. And there's no way you can follow him well unless you believe. So if there's questions, cool, let's make room for that. There has to be room for that. But the goal of that is to process it and then make a decision whether you believe or not. That's the only way to live honestly. Either way, that's the only way to live honestly. Believe. Believe, believe, believe. Um, when you think about Jesus and the way that he would talk to people, especially people who were like, hey, I want to follow you, um, he didn't say like, well, just come see what you think. Hang around for a while. I'm going to read you some of what he said. Matthew 5, 11 through 16. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. We live in a culture where everything's about gaining more followers, right? People liking you on Instagram. What does Jesus say? <laughs> it's the opposite pitch. People might desert you. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Right? When you live as light in the world, what happens? You reflect the glory of God and people can find Jesus. So he's saying, listen, when people figure out you're my follower, here's a list of terrible things that may happen to you. And then he says, but don't shrink back. What's the point of the teaching on salt and light? When these things happen to you, don't shrink back. Don't be afraid you'll lose followers. Don't be afraid people won't like you. Don't be afraid you won't get their promotion. Because what good is light if nobody can see it? And what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? It isn't right? And so even if people persecute you, if they lie about you because of my sake, they don't like you, they cancel you in culture, right? Be very happy about it because this happened to all the prophets and it's happening to me and it means you're my follower. Don't shrink back. Light has to be light in darkness. Salt has to change the flavor of what it's in or it's no good right? Rough crowd today. Matthew 7, 21 through 29. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. 
getting fascinated with Jesus, which we talked about first? What does he say? I don't know you. But Lord, Lord, I ran this ministry. I did this thing. I did a bunch of good works. When somebody needed a fiver, I gave it to them, right? Look at all these good things I did. And what does Jesus say? None of that was the point. I don't know you. You don't know me. Jesus, these were his sermons. I'm shocked he had a congregation. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Whoo! Think about that. God has made us for hard things. When Jesus told people what was true and it was a hard word, what happened? They were like, this man teaches with authority. Unlike these guys who are like, hey, you can have your best life now if you just said 1995, right? They're like, that's the real deal. Because inside we know, right? Intuitively we know. Innately we know because we've been made to be in the image of God. We know stuff is screwed up. And we know that the gap has to be bridged, right? And we know that we were made for hard things. We were made to follow him. And so when someone calls us up to it, even though it might be a hard word, part of us is like, yes. This is yes. Right? Don't you feel that? Like, sometimes God brings you a hard word, but you're like, yep. That feels like life, even though it was hard to hear. That's where life is. Jesus has these hard words. Matthew 8, 19 through 22. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me now. Let the dead bury the dead. Jesus, that's a rough word. What is he doing? What, people are coming to him and saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but there's this thing. Lord, I'll follow you. And he's reading their hearts. Right? This one, money is their idol. This one has 10 excuses, and, right? And he's calling them out to something higher. Matthew eleven twenty. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. 
For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be there today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. That's a rough word. That's his altar call. <laughs> Come on. What is he saying? Yes, I'm going to be Jesus' disciple. Listen, everybody wants a Savior. Not everybody wants a Lord. And what he's saying is to follow me, I must be Lord. If you're going to be my disciple, I must be Lord. That means you're going to live your life in the way that I have given you. In Matthew 28, when he, when he gives the commission to go and make disciples, what does he say? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what does he say next? Teaching them everything I've commanded you. You want to follow me? Here's my way. You want to know me? Anyone can know me. Anybody. All are welcome. All can come in. But you're going to have to come my way. Matthew 13, 24. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the weeds, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's, um, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where do they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull, the weed, should we pull out the weeds? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. Um, think about what he's saying. He's saying, in my house, there are weeds and there are wheat. <laughs> and you can't always pull up the weed, all the weeds, right? But in the end, I'll sort it out. And so as a pastor, let me just tell you, when it comes to belief, when it comes to believing, I feel so impressed and responsible that people understand what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean coming to church and doing a little better. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, lay down your life. You can only follow me if you're willing to lay it all down and say, my life is yours and your life is mine. It's an exchange of lives. You can only follow me if I'm Lord. Not just like the one you call out when you need something to save you. He wants to save you, but he can only save you if he's Lord. And what happens is, I think people feel like, um, I, my life should improve, I should do better, so I'll come to church. A church does not make you a Christian. Your garage does not make you a car if you're standing in it, right? What makes you a follower of Jesus, what makes you a Christian, is you have made a decision to say, I lay my life down, I repent of my sins, I follow you. Your way, not my way. I will die to myself when it contradicts what you have to say because I'm following you. And my concern is, if it's not clear to people how to be saved, you can have a church full of people, everybody appreciating the presence of God, everybody getting goosebumps on their favorite songs, and half the room can be weeds because they've never made Jesus Lord. 
And if all I preach to you are things that make you feel good, right? If all I say is like, hey, let's talk about being kind, which we should be kind, right? But if that's the only kind of thing we talk about, then people can sit in church for decades and be weeds and never come to new life in Christ. And let me tell you, I think it should be clear enough. We should say it clear enough so that people know whether they're a weed or wheat. It's our responsibility. Not because we're being judgmental and not because we're being harsh. Because if we really love people, if you really love people, then you let them be powerful enough to make their own decisions. And they can only do that if they've got the information. You could do tons of good works. We prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. We did all these good things. I don't know you, is what he said. You're a weed. You hung around with wheat, so you got confused. But you're a weed. Are you? <laughs> 2020, let's go! So exciting. I'm going to do one more, and then we'll go to the next one. Luke 14, 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, be my com- com- you must by comparison, hate everyone else your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish, to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Jesus, rough analogy. If it is thrown, it is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He says, count the cost. You want to be my disciple? Count the cost. Be honest with yourself. Are you willing to die to yourself? to come follow me in new life. There is no better exchange, but there's a decision to be made, right? Okay. So believe, getting fascinated with Jesus, and then really assessing, like, I made, and if you've made a decision to repent of your sins and to believe, I think it's good to reassess, like, here's a decision I've made. People renew their vows sometimes, right? When they've been married for a period of time, or they've walked through a very difficult season, they'll renew their vows. Why do they do that? We are reaffirming covenant. And there's some, some seasons you, you walk through where you need to reaffirm covenant. Like, I believe. How many of you have been in a tough season and at the very bottom of it, you're like, you know what? But I still believe, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you have to, sometimes in the darkest point of it, you've got to reaffirm that. I believe. I've made a decision. I'm not going to go in this direction because I've made a decision to follow him. 
and then you find things begin to clear and you can see your way out and you look back and you see his hand all the way through it. But sometimes when it's darkest, all you can do is say, with everything swirling around you, I don't know what's happening, I don't know where he's at in it, but I believe. Right? Those of you who've made Christ Lord of your life, you've made a decision to be his disciple, you've counted the cost, repented of your sins, turned your life over to God. I think we need to remind ourselves we've done that. It is encouraging. Every time we come to the communion table, for instance, we remind ourselves of what he has done and what we've received as we've laid our lives down before him. That's an important thing for us, right? It strengthens us. Remember your baptism. You belong to Jesus. You belong to him. You've made a confession of faith. How are you doing in the house? Leave. I do, there's something about, there are times where um, you'll come into a room, you'll come into a service, and everything's happening right. But the people are in unbelief. And it's like a wall. And the very same person will go to preach at a different service, because I've been in different places, and you're preaching the very same thing, they're singing the very same songs, but the house is like on fire in the best way possible, and what changed? The people sitting there believe. That's what changed. Jesus says, just believe. There is something about, the disciples tried to cast a demon out of a, out of a, a kid. A man brought his son who had, was demon-possessed, and the disciples keep trying to cast out this demon, and they can't do it. And Jesus is taken up through the disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration, so he's not with them. He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They're like, Jesus, we tried. We tried. What do we do about this one? He's like, you got to believe. He said some of this stuff happens through fasting and prayer. Jesus didn't go fast and pray. He was living a life, right, that was taking him back to the Father where he could remember, right? Here, come on. So often, he, he, the, storm, they're, the storm's happening. They're screaming and yelling, we're going to die, we're going to die. He comes up and he, he stills the storm. And he's like, how long is it going to take for you to believe? Believe. There are so many things in our heart to see God break through in. And I think at some level, we've got to realize, God, you've got to help me up my belief game. Because I do think it happens in levels. We see that with the disciples for sure. Once you've seen God do certain things, it's really easy to believe he does those things. If you haven't seen him do other things, you might mentally give assent to it, but it's hard to believe that's going to happen. Right? There was a real transition in this house a few years ago. Um, there was a point where I really realized, like, when I'm praying for people, I think I'm always just praying for comfort, no matter what my words are. People might have needed healing in their body or reconciliation in a relationship or other things to happen, but I think my prayers, no matter what the words were coming out of my mouth, I think in my heart every prayer was comfort because <laughs> I believed God could comfort people. And I really had to stop and say, I, if I'm going to pray for someone for healing, I need to actually believe 
that that's going to happen. If I'm going to pray for reconciliation, I need to believe that's what's going to happen. And I actually, for a while, like when it came to healing, I would actually kind of do this thing in my head where I would close my eyes with the purpose of not concentrating so much on the prayer of saying, I expect something to have changed when my eyes open. And I would kind of do that as like a little, um, uh, to help me believe, like to concentrate my mind on, I'm not just praying for God to show up in some way. I'm going to close my eyes and believe when I open them, something changed. <laughs> you know, believe. And it's amazing how just that really flipped something to say, I, I have to believe or I'm going to stop praying for healing. I'm going to stop praying for this to happen if I can't believe. I think you've got to get to that point where you're like, God, I need to believe what you say. Living honestly, I need to believe what you say is true. And not just go through the motions of the words, right? Are you with me? Believe, 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 believe. I think this comes back to, and I'll just say this quickly, because I, I mentioned it a bit a couple weeks ago. I do believe when it comes as belief, it's almost, I, it's almost like a picture I have is like a bear hibernating. Almost like we've been almost like in hibernation. So good things have been happening. We've seen some people healed. We've seen things that really do take faith to believe that God's going to do something. We've seen lives transformed, right? We've seen those things happen. Um, but I almost feel like even with those things, it's almost been like a bear hibernating. And then when the bear wakes up and comes out of the cave, it's like well-rested, and ready. You know what I'm saying? Like the bear emerges and it's ready. It's ready to be alive. It's ready to be awake. And the picture I had in just thinking about this year is almost like for us as a church, almost like we've been in hibernation and now we're, we're waking up. That's almost a picture I had. How many of you that resonates with you? Like, it just feels like, oh, like we're ready. He's still going to equip us. There's still stuff we have to learn, but it feels like we're ready for a next season. We're like, we are tanned, rested, and ready for what comes next. And belief has a lot to do with that. We have learned how to believe. And I think he's going to take us to a next level of belief. And after that, there'll be a next level of belief. But I really, belief, believing. Okay, these last three we can do pretty fast. Number three. In terms of who we are and where we're going, this is a core value. It's our, actually, it's our first core value in the house. God's presence is the highest value in this house. And I think this year this is going to get flushed out even more. God's presence is the highest value in this house. You know, um, what is your expectation coming in the door on Sunday morning? If your expectation coming in the door is like there's going to be good music and um, a good word maybe, um, that's cool. I hope those two things happen. But our highest expectation should be where two or three are gathered together, he shows up. He's in the house. He's in the house. The Bible actually says that. It says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, when you got saved, the Spirit of Christ came to dwell within you. But he's talking about something different. There is like a manifest presence of God when his people get together and they believe. There is a manifest presence of God. There are things that can happen when we who are going in the same direction, we've decided to follow Jesus, right? Like for real. And we believe and we get together. He says, two or three are gathered my name. 
I'm there in their midst. He says, ask for what you want and it will be done. Whoa, that's awesome. It's like, it's like you're like a little piece of dynamite out in the world, right? Revealing God and people are experiencing God through you. I just had a sleep study done on Friday night, which is funny because you don't actually get to sleep during the sleep study. <laughs> and there's a split study, so they're like waking you up every hour and it's like, oh my goodness. <sighs> anyway, um, you have electrodes. How are you doing a sleep study? Like there's no real sleeping. You can't really, there's electrodes everywhere, whatever. Um, but it really occurred to me, and it's, you know, people have to, like, apply all this stuff to you. It takes a while. And, I mean, it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. You're not at your best. I'm wearing my, like, um, if I don't take this nap, who will shirt, you know, like PJs and socks, and you're sitting there, and you can't have any makeup or anything on, you know, so, like, you've got fresh. I mean, you know, just you're kind of a wreck when you go to a sleep study. And I'm sitting there talking to um, the guy. His name is Nick. He's my guy, and um, I'm seeing this reaction. I mean, I'm just, like, talking like normal, and I'm seeing this reaction on this guy, and I was like, oh, you just forget. When people haven't experienced Jesus, we weren't even talking about Jesus. I haven't even, hadn't even brought up Jesus yet, but I think my responses to him were just so shocking, and, like, I don't know, like, like, I felt like <laughs> he just kept stopping and wanted to talk. And I'm like, I know you have a job to do, like, electrodes, whatever. But it's almost like, and just, and, and then I asked further questions. But I don't think he'd ever experienced the presence of God. And so when you're hosting the presence of God and people encounter you, you're not even having a religious conversation. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, because you... You know, when you're following Jesus and he's like freed you from all, you, he's freeing you from all the junk, you don't have a bunch of walls up. You like live in a very open, you, you, you know what I'm saying? There's all these barriers. You're, I don't know. Nick was like, I just felt like, Nick, you just need to come to church. I think he, if he came to church, he was thrown off enough by one person hosting the presence of God. I think if he came to church, honestly, his dreadlocks would fall out. It would not, for sure. He would be, it would just be so shocking. He would not even, but you forget, like, the presence of God is amazing. The presence of God is so powerful. And we carry that individually. We come together. He's here in the house. Think about this. If we all come with expectation every single Sunday, we're going to meet with Jesus. He's there. Like, if you stop right now and just think, Jesus, you're here. And you're here not to meet with everybody else. You're here to meet with me. What changes? What would you ask him? What would you lay down before him? He's here now. He's walking the aisles with us. Where two or three are gathered, he's here. His presence is the highest value in the house. I think sometimes we forget that. In Genesis 28, Jacob wrestles with God. Um, well, he comes to a place called Bethel, and he recognizes the presence of God is here. He could feel it. The presence of God is here. And then he eventually sees vision. Um, but this is what he says. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. And I didn't even know it. You know? 
Sometimes we come in and we've grown accustomed to the presence of God. We come in and we leave totally unchanged um, because we forget the presence of God is in the house. The presence of God is in the house. And in his presence, when your heart is open, right? And it doesn't matter if you could have come in the most sinful, nasty person, but your heart is open to him, he will work. He will move. It's based on his character and not your goodness. All he needs is your yes. Like, that's all he's looking for is your yes. And he'll come and work. The presence of God is in the house. I think we foster that more in this year. Um, for the goal of everything that we do in this house is to equip you to do the Jesus stuff. That's our goal in this house. So my goal in this house is not to have, like, a bunch of programs so we're all here through the week. I don't actually want a bunch of stuff happening in the building. <laughs> Some stuff needs to happen. But I want a bunch of stuff to happen. Do you know why? We shouldn't stay here. We should get equipped to do the Jesus stuff here, and then we should go and do the Jesus stuff. That's the goal of what we're doing in the house. Our goal here is to equip everyone to the Jesus stuff. And so let me say one thing on that before we move on. We want you to practice the Jesus stuff here. So, of course, there's teaching. What we do teachings is to equip you um, to make disciples. We don't do Wednesday night teachings because churches should have a midweek. Like, you have a last-born pastor. I'm last-born in my family. Craig's first-born. Shanna's second. I'm last, which means you have somebody who's not tied to anything doing it the way everyone's always done it. Like, right? I have none of that in me. <laughs> Last-borns. Break every rule, right? So if we're doing it, it's not because I think churches should. It's because we think it actually will equip people to be better disciples. It will encourage them in some way to do the Jesus stuff. So if there's a teaching, it's not just because we should do it on a Wednesday. It's because we actually think this is going to be helpful, right? If there's a prayer thing, the things we do is because we actually think they're going to be helpful to equip people to be disciples. So think about this. We don't just want to equip you. We want to practice the Jesus stuff. So at the end of the service, when there's a chance to get prayer, um, if God's stirring something in you, move out of your seat. Get prayer. When we say you can pray with anybody, you can minister to each other in the house during the worship time. Like the worship time, you don't have to be still. Have you ever gone to a church where like during worship time you feel like, like if a child is moving, everyone's upset, like what's going on, right? Because they need everything to be really, really, uh, we are not those people. So uh, during worship time, if you feel like God's stirring you up to encourage somebody, go encourage them. It, during worship time, if you feel like you have a prophetic word for someone, feel free to do that. During worship time, if you feel like God's leading you to pray for somebody, you should do that. When we say everyone who's a believer in the house has his kingdom without measure and can minister, we actually want you to try. Like, you don't have to, but if you feel like God's stirring you up, then that's, you have permission in the house to do the Jesus stuff. When someone is sick and you might feel like, I feel like I should pray for that person, but I've never done that before, this is a perfect place to try. Because if you lay hands on the sick here and they get healed, you are much more likely to leave this place and lay hands on the sick. Right? If you've never gotten to practice in the house, you're not going to leave the house and do the stuff. Right? This is where you practice. Well, pastor, what if somebody gets weird? Then we'll just help them. We'll teach them. We'll give them good boundaries. There was one guy. Where's Ben? Oh, they may not be here. The kids, there were sick kids. Um, there was one guy who was just a mess, and he'd say crazy things. This has been a while ago. Or I wouldn't tell the story. Um, 
And so I said, listen, um, I want you to practice. Clearly, you have a heart to hear what God is saying. But the things that you've been saying God is saying is not God. So that's a problem. <laughs> like, hey, God told me to give you my number. No, that is not what God is saying. Um, God didn't tell you that. Um, <clears throat> not to me, to some young girl, right? God didn't tell you that. Um, so here's what I did. I, but how many of you know there's no throwaway people? We'll help people. So here's what I did. I said, listen, I want you to practice hearing God. In fact, every week, why don't you ask God, hey, give me a word. Practice hearing God. But the only person you're allowed to give the word to is Ben. And so Ben Boxen was his guy. <laughs> I said, I want you to practice on Ben. He's the only person he wears to. <laughs> so, so he practiced on Ben. And he, he didn't get better. And he eventually left because I think he went to practice on the young pretty girls. But, um, and he got Ben instead. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is we don't have to live in fear like someone's going to get it wrong. If something's not happening the way it should, we'll just correct that. We'll give people good boundaries. And we'll, but we'll also try to help them learn. Because there are no throwaway people. And you say, well, some people are just really weird. Yeah, but those weird people know other weird people who are also made in the image of God, who need a witness, and that's going to be their witness. So I don't care how socially awkward and strange they are. Let's equip them too. They just may have a small circle of people they can practice on, like Ben, <laughs> right? But there's no throwaway people. We actually want you to practice doing the Jesus stuff in the house. Because we actually believe it's going to happen. And we see it happen. Last thing. Okay, I'm actually going to leave this. I'm going to have you stand. Worship team, come on up. If I think about 2020, I'm thinking about the focus on Jesus, which is going to stir up belief which is also going to help our focus to say, your presence is in the house. It's also going to give us courage to believe that he's at work. Amen. So as the worship team plays, we have a chance to respond in worship. Prayer team, come on up. What's God stirring up in you for this year? There's like, I just feel like bubbling, right? There's things bubbling up and it's different for, it's different for different people in the house. But let's take some time to respond to him. If the holidays were a whirlwind and you really don't have clear focus for this year, ask God right now. God, give me a focus for this year. What are you doing? What are you stirring up in me? What are you saying? Get a word from him. He's so good. He's so good. He's always speaking. Maybe you're in this house and you're like, I know I'm far from God. In fact, I'm just, I'm still seeking. But you know what? Today, I'm ready to cross that. I'm ready to cross that line. I'm ready to Lord. Today's the day of salvation. There's folks in back who can pray with you. Craig and Matt are back there. There's some folks up here that can pray with you as well. Or maybe just Matt's by himself and Craig just looking at him. Ha <laughs> ha. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I think I might be a weed. <laughs> I think I might be a weed. I've been around religious stuff. I even believe it's all true, but I have never made him Lord. 
I've not repented of my sins and turned my life over to God. If Jesus said to the like the rich young ruler, if he said to me, sell everything you have and follow me, I'd be like, that's a hard no. Right? I've not made him Lord. If he said to me, you can't go and do all the family stuff and the bear that you're going to come follow me now. Right? If he called out an issue of my heart, would I say yes, Lord? Or would I say no? Because you can't say no, Lord. It's an oxymoron, right? There's only yes, Lord. But maybe today as you're sitting here, you're like, you know what? I think I might be a weed. <laughs> I've not made him Lord. And in the end, I will not be bundled with the righteous into eternal life. But he'll say to me, I never knew you. Man, if that's you in the house, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. He's so good. He's so good. He came for you today. <laughs> he came for you today. Jesus is in the house. What's he speaking? What's he saying? What's he stirring up? Maybe he's stirring you up to minister to somebody while you worship. And that's, maybe you're nervous. You get to try in the house. You have permission. What's he speaking? What's he saying? Let's respond to him today. He's stirring us up. He's stirring us up. We can do hard things. He's going to call us to good things. They're hard things. What's he speaking to you? Let's take some time to respond. Amen. Everything. 
the darkness flee. I raise, I raise a hallelujah in the middle, in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah. Fear you lost your hold on me. I'm gonna sing and I sing in the middle of this storm oh, louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive I'm gonna sing I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and yourself known, Jesus. Make yourself known. Make yourself known, God. You know, I was watching this um, Bill Johnson um, sermon, and he said, oftentimes we say, God, would you just be there? God, would you come? God, would you come? And how he's, his word says, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And instead, what we should pray is, heaven, come heaven come because that's his will praying his will and so i just pray heaven come invade come invade in jesus name come invade thank you god that's our heart that's our heart you're here you will never leave us nor forsake us you're here when two or more are gathered you're here that's just truth that's just truth so heaven come heaven come thank you god Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
nature's watch in vain was borrowed for three days but his body there would not remain our god has robbed the
rest in his presence. We just wait on him. He's good.
they fail not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I don't know what you came in the house with today. It's been a great week. Maybe you're in the middle of struggle, but he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. If you're in this house and you, um, you're still trying to figure out if you believe, maybe you believe, but can you make him Lord? I want to encourage you. He is like one call away. <laughs> you can come at any time and surrender to him. He's so good. He's so faithful. Maybe you're in this house and you're a believer. You've made him Lord. If you're walking through difficulty, I just want to pray for you before we go. Anybody who's like, man, I just could use God to come and invade. There's a situation I need God to show up and invade, either give direction or deliver or, or what have you. Anybody in that position, we just want to pray for you before we go. Anybody who could use prayer of the saints. If someone's got their hand up around you, just put your hand on their shoulder or you can agree with them. We're going to pray for everybody who has need. Anybody else? A couple hands up. Could you move around, folks? Greg and back. It's good to stand together. Amen. You don't have to bear your burdens alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we just agree together with each person who <clears throat> needs a touch from you, Lord. We don't know the circumstance, but God, I pray right now in Jesus' name <laughs> that you would come. Number one, you'd bring peace, that you are there. Do not be afraid. I am with you that there be a peace that you're in the situation. Father, I pray for divine wisdom. I pray for divine deliverance. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I thank you just even the upraised hand as a yes. I need Jesus in this situation. You are close to the contrite of heart. 
those who need for you. You are close. You resist the proud. But you raise up the humble. We recognize our need for you. I thank you that when we say yes to you, you always meet us. Always, always, always. Thank you, Father. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. God, I pray for each situation. Nothing's ever wasted. No detail is wasted. Every difficult thing you'll turn around and use for good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Could we all agree together? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Remember who you are this week. God bless you.